0: Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Father, we thank you for the word. Uh, of God this morning. We thank you for the truths that you've given us. God, thank you that you have poured your love into our hearts, uh, that by the Holy Spirit you have have shown us love and given us love. And God, now help us to to love you. Help us to know what that means, um, to be your covenant people, to respond to you with love. And then God, help us to teach our children and our children's children um, to love you and to obey you and to follow you, the Lord, that it it may be well with us, uh, that we may live long in in the land. Father, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you remember from last week, we uh, started a brief series through the book of Deuteronomy, just kind of hitting the highlights. And uh, last week, we gave some context. I'm going to give a much smaller version of that this week. But basically, Deuteronomy is spoken by Moses to the Israelites the second time that they're at the promised land. Okay, so they get delivered out of Egypt uh, by Moses, through Moses, through the Red Sea. They come to the promised land. Uh, they all panic. They, they, they don't believe God. Only Joshua and Caleb trust God. They're, the rest of them are all unbelieving. They don't think God will honor his word. They don't think God Will come through. They don't think God will be faithful. And so because of that unbelief, we, we looked at that last week, real song, unbelief. That was the problem. Because of their unbelief, they had to go in a 40-year timeout, out, uh, wandering in the wilderness while the whole generation dies off, except Joshua and Caleb, and now they are sitting at the edge of the promised land for a second time. And now Moses is is delivering the sermon, if you will, or sermons of Deuteronomy, saying, All right, guys, you know, here here's here's your second chance to, to possess what God has given you. Let's not blow it this time. Let's be people of faith and let's respond to God's covenant. Deuteronomy is very much about covenant. It's very much about God saying, this is what I will do for you. You are my people and here are my promises to you. Here's what I want to be to you. Here's what I will do to you. Listen to verses two and three so that you may fear the Lord, your God, you and your son and your son's son. Listen to this by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Okay. Here's some promises that your days may be long Hear, Therefore Israel and be careful to do them that it may go well with you what a great promise that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the lord the god of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey and so god takes his people and he says guys I promise I will do this for you. I, here are my promises. Here's what I will be for you. And now you need to respond to me. Now, now, I know that we're not the nation of Israel and we're not, you know, perched on the edge of the Mediterranean, you know, uh, you know looking to enter the, the, the land of Canaan. But these promises, to some degree, in some form, still apply to us. The reason I know that is because when we go over into our, our New Testament, which is written to the church, church exactly like ours, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking to parents and children, very much like Deuteronomy chapter 6 is talking to parents and children, and... and, and uh, um, Paul says this in chapter 6 verse uh, 2 it says honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land exact same rewards or, or or promises to the New Testament church and so to some degree I believe these do apply to us today as we're thinking about things going well with us well with our family well with our spiritual life well with with our eternity these, these are these are covenants that God has made in fact in just a little bit we will celebrate the new covenant of Jesus blood that Christ has made with us. And so the question we need to ask or answer, which is the one that they need to answer is, all right, how do we respond to God's covenant? How do we respond to being God's people? What is the appropriate response that says, yes, God, I want to be your people. I want to follow you. I want to respond in obedience to you. And and the overall response that we're going to see here is you need to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look at verse five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, um, that, that That is the response of God's people. Now, you could say, well, it also talks about obeying God. It does up in verses uh, 1 and 2 and 3. It talks about keeping the commandments. Chapter 5, by the way, which we skipped uh, on purpose is the Ten Commandments. And so God is just or Moses has just given the people the Ten Commandments. And you might think, well, isn't the response to just obey God's commandments? Yes, but not without love. Love is the supreme command. Jesus said that. In fact, this passage that we just read was quoted by Jesus numerous times in the New Testament. Here's what Jesus said about it. Um, uh, in uh, In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, a teacher comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? In verse 37, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and said, this is the greatest commandment. And, and then he says in verse 40, on these two, uh, the second is you love your neighbor as yourself. And, and in verse 40, he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so basically Jesus says the entire Old Testament, all that God commands of his people can be summed up in this one thing. You need to love God with your heart, soul, and might. Okay? That, that, that's, that's a summary of the Old Testament. That's a summary of what God commands and desires of his people is that we would love Love him with our heart, our soul, and our mind. Now, some of you might be saying, listen, Pastor, it just seems strange to me that God would command us to love him. You know, I mean, when you think of commands, you think of, well, okay, don't kill and don't steal and don't cheat and don't lie. You know, those are moral kind of imperatives. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. But, but it might seem strange to us that God would say the greatest commandment, the thing that you need to respond to me is you are to love me. I mean, that, that might seem strange to you because we don't do that. Sometimes we wish we could do that. There's a lot of young men that wish they could walk around and say, Hey, you love me. You know, uh, that, that would be nice if I guess, if we can do, we can do that. It doesn't work that way for us. So why does it work? That way for God. Well, a couple key reasons why that is perfectly appropriate and right for God to do that. Number one, reason number one, is because God has first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, Describes the love of God. It says, uh, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What the Bible is going to tell us is that we don't even know what love is without God. Okay? God has initiated love in our lives. We are broken people. We're rebels against God. We're sinners. We're separated from God. And God has reached down out of heaven through Jesus Christ and has demonstrated clearly what love is. God has loved us first. He has initiated a love relationship in our lives. We don't even know what love is without the love of God. So, so first of all, it's appropriate because God has first of all given to us love. He has shown us love. He has initiated love in our lives. In fact, Romans 5.5 5 tells us that he has poured out love through the Holy Spirit into our lives. I, I would say it's even impossible for us to really love God and love others as we ought to, as the Bible describes, without God working that in us through his Holy Spirit. Okay, So in, in a way, God God is, God is asking us, he, he's commanding us to give to him what he's already put into us, okay? And so, so that's why, number one, it's appropriate that we respond in love. And number two, it's appropriate that God command us to love him because God is infinitely lovable, Okay, we describe that here at Lincoln Avenue, and in the Bible, as it does, as His glory. We talk a lot about God's glory. What is what is God's glory? God is God's glory is His infinite perfections. Okay, so you take any virtuous perfection, you take courage or valor or strength or power or grace or mercy or justice. God is infinitely that. Okay, in fact, in chapter uh, six, verse four, here it says, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one." The Lord is one, meaning not only the Lord is one God, there's only one God. He is in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but He is one God. But really the, the gist of that phrase, the Lord is one, God's in a category all by himself, is what it's saying. He is, he is one God. There's only one God. There's no one like him, okay? There is no one comparable to God. There is nothing greater than God. There is nothing more satisfying than God. There is no one as gracious or as just or as holy. God is glorious. He is the best of all beings. He reigns in righteousness. And really the, the question of the Bible would be, how can you not love him? You know, how can you not love what is infinitely lovable? How can you not love what is infinitely good? How can you not love what is the best of all things? How can you not love God? You see, our problem as sinners is that we love the wrong things. You know, we we have we have a taste problem. You know, hey, have you ever had a kid or something that like eat dirt? You know, or something like that. you ever you ever had a kid that did that? You know, and you're kind of you're kind of out at a picnic and they're over there shoveling the dirt in. You know, and and there's like cookies and barbecue over here and you're like, what's what's the problem? Problem here, you know you're you're broken. Why why would you eat dirt when when you got when you got ribs over here when you got Twinkies over here? That, that that's that's. That's, that's a picture of our problem, okay? We, we love the wrong things, you know? We go after all the wrong things in life, and that, that's part of our brokenness. It's part of our sin. And, and so God is perfectly just in saying, you, you love me. I am glorious. To not love God indicates a certain blindness. It indicates a certain sinfulness of our hearts that we prefer what is not good and what is not glorious to what is good and what is glorious. And, and most... The reason we do that is because we don 't see God as we ought to see Him. We have not experienced God as we ought to experience Him. We love pleasure and we love cool summer mornings in the mountains and we love a soft breeze on a sunny day at the beach and we love a baby 's laugh and a toddler's story and a kiss from our spouse and a good meal of friends. You know why we love those things because we have experienced them you see we've we've they've happened to us we've we, we've we've had that experience we we know what that is. And the reason that people don't love God is because they haven't experienced him. They've not seen him. Their eyes have not been opened to see the glory of God. And that's why Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why the Bible urges us all through from Old Testament to new, to know God, to pray that we might know him more that we might see him more. Because the more we know him and the more we see him, the more we will love him. Man, that's not true of anything else in life. I don't think, you know, the, the better, you know, me here's, here's going to be the deal. The better you know me, the more difficult it's going to be for you to love me. Isn't that that the, I mean, it's just true, you know, it just is. I mean, the, the, the more, the more intimately, you know, all, all my quirks and, you know, problems and the more, you know, me, I mean, hopefully you'll still love me, but it'll be more difficult. You'll have to, you'll have to try harder, you know, but that's not the way it is with God. And the, the more we know him, the more lovely he becomes. And so it's perfectly right for us, for God to command us to love him. That's the greatest, that's the commandment. That's the response of his people. That, that's being in a covenant relationship with God is we love him. Now, what does it mean to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, uh, first of all, as we just take that as a, a whole picture, um, the word all kind of jumps out at me there. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all, notice that, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know what? What is that implying? That's implying 100% effort. Man, that's convicting to me. When when you think about exactly what God is saying here, is it with all of your energy, with all of your might, with all of your pursuit, with all of your mind power, with all of your intellect, with all of your posture, with all of your direction, you are to respond to God with love. This is not a half-hearted thing. In other words, there's not a person in this room, no matter where you're at spiritually, that can say, yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah. What was the sermon on today? Oh, I was on loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I got that last week, you know, just Tuesday. It just hit me, you know, and I just I have it, you know, uh, I do it. Nobody can say that. You know, you're not responding to God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength. I mean, I mean, this, this is, this is radical. Okay. This, this is what, what does God demand of us even demands that every inclination of our heart and soul and mind is pointed toward him. That's the right thing for you. It's the right thing for your family. It's the best thing for you. It's the way that you honor God. It, it's a kind of love that's going to make every other love look wimpy. Man, I love my family. Um, just like you, you love your family. I love my family. I love my wife. And, and and I strive to find creative ways to know my life, wife and to love my wife and to you know yeah yesterday and I do this I do this a lot yesterday I just thought about you know I mean I like to send her texts but I don't just like to send her texts yeah, I love you I mean those are good sometimes I do that but but you know those kind of grow callous, and you know, and so you know, I, I, I like to think, I sometimes, sometimes I, think, I think, you know, okay, how, how, can, I, how can I show her love, how can, what can I say you know, I think I sent her one yesterday that said you know, you're my favorite girl in the whole world you know, or something like that, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to strive to to, to love her, I'm trying to strive to know my kids, you know, and know what, what would be what would be good to connect with them, and how, how can I love them, how can I, how, how, can, how can I meet their needs, and what do they need right now, and man, that's a job, you know and I mean, it takes effort and creativity, and you know, I write them letters and block out time to nurture them and connect with them. Man, it's a big job. But here's what the Bible says. That ought to look wimpy compared to my love for God. Matthew 10, 37. Here's what Jesus said. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so if if my efforts to love my family are here compared to my efforts to love God... Man, my life is out of whack. It's got to be the other way around. <laughs> I've got to be employing energy and effort to love God. And, and interestingly enough, it'd be the best thing for my wife. <laughs> it'd be the best thing for my kids, for me to have that right in my life, for me to be employing 100% up for God, You know, for, for my love for God to be up here compared to my love for my family. That would be the best thing for my kids. That'd be the best way to bless them, be the best way to bless my wife. Would be for my life to be that way, and and so so Deuteronomy says, "Love God with with all with all your with all your mind." So let, let's read again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know, I, I think I think he's saying your whole your whole being, isn't he? Um, Jesus adds mind in in the New Testament, and so so you've got kind of loving God intellectually, you've got loving God emotionally, you've got loving God with your will. Okay, you've got kind of every area of your person. Okay, so you've got loving God intellectually with your mind. You've got stretching your mind to comprehend His glory. You know, when we worship, we do this, don't we? I mean, we strive. You know, I know our worship leaders do. They strive to they pick songs that, that creatively capture who God is and what God has done. You know, Hopefully here in just a little bit, you're going to engage your mind in the gospel. As we hand out the elements, you're going to hold that bread in your hand. And hopefully you're going to be appropriating the gospel that you are a sinner. And with your mind, you're going to be understanding and comprehending you know, that Jesus' life is for you. That you feed on him. That, that he is your bread. That, that, that you, you have no hope without him. Hopefully with your mind, you are grabbing on to the character and the glory of God. Hopefully with your emotions, you're loving God. You know, this passage in verse 2 talks about fearing the Lord. You know, I think that's an appropriate emotional response of love to God, interestingly as it sounds, to fear God, to, to, to take Him seriously. I mean, that's what it is to fear Him. It's to, 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 be, to have a sense of gravity about God and about your life and about eternity. All through the Bible, it talks about delighting in God. I think one of the the clearest expressions of love for God is when you delight in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When when your heart is bubbling over with just delight, giddiness, joy over what God has done and over what God will do. Philippians four four says what, what the Bible says all throughout, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, there, there needs to be an, an expression of joy. Man, if you walk around and your whole Christian life is this life of obligation and duty and joylessness, you are missing it. You're not loving God. I mean, that would not work in any other area of life, you know. If, if when my wife's birthday comes around, I hand her a present and said, there, I did my duty. You know, it would not matter how good the present was. Okay. She would not receive that as love. And so if you if your whole Christian experience is completely without joy, you know, everything you do for God, you do just out of, man, you, you've missed it. You're not loving God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. Psalm 511 says to exult in him. Let me, let me find that and read that to you. That, that's a great verse. It says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. That those who love your name may exult in you. Love God with your might. Love Him with your, your power, your will. Respond to God in obedience. The clearest expression, I think, of loving God is, is to obey God. Listen to John 14, 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Man, did you hear that? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Okay, that's the guy who loves me. The guy that doesn't keep my commandments. You know, the guy that doesn't follow me, the guy that doesn't obey. He doesn't love me. And it says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Man. And again, it's not just obeying God's commandments. Some people obey God's commandments out of out of pride. You know, it's like, hey, I'm better than everybody else. You know, because I do this and because I, I you know, no, that, that that's that's not that's that's missing the point. Some people obey God's out of God's commandments out of obligation. You know, it's almost like they're paying God off with their obedience. No, it, it should be we obey God because we love Him. First John chapter five verse three. Listen to this. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You see that that's an appropriate response. It begins with this love of God, this delight in God, this rejoicing in God, this this grabbing onto all the goodness of God with our mind, and then then the expression of that is this joyful obedience, god, I, I want to worship, and God, I want to be holy and I don't want to sin, and god I, I want to live righteously, and I want to live purely. Because I want to please you and honor you and I, I trust in you. You know, uh, uh, an appropriate expression of obedience comes out of love that flows from faith in God. Whenever we believe his word. I mean, that's part of loving him, isn't it? Part of loving him is saying, man, God, you, you what you speak is true. Man, I can trust you completely. Man, there's no doubt in my mind that you won't let me down. And so, God, I, I believe you. I trust you. And it's going to overflow in a life of obedience. All right, so God sets up his covenant. He said, this is what I'm going to do for you. I will bless you. It will go well with you. You'll live long in the land. How do you respond to that? You're going to love me with your heart and your soul and your might. And then he says, look at this. This this is good. Then he says in verse uh, 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You know what it means when something's on your heart, right? You ever call up a friend and say, man, I I just need to call and check on you. You've just been on my heart all day. You ever say that? What do you mean by that? You, you mean, man, I just can't stop thinking about you. I mean, I'm just I, there's a deep concern in my soul about you, and it just won't go away. You know, you're just on my heart. In other words, you, you are you are pressed on on me, on my mind, my emotions. Okay, and, and, and so so Moses commands me. He says, "Look, these words, this whole command of loving God with your heart, soul, man, that ought to be on your heart." Okay, that ought to be something you are continually pondering. Okay, if you're not loving God, you miss everything. Everything in the Bible is summarized in that one statement. And so we ought always be considering how is that impacting my life? How how am I loving God? It ought to be on your heart. And if it's not on your heart, then you're not going to be able to obey the rest of what this command, this passage tells us to do, which is to, in every situation of life, teach it to your kids. Okay, now parents and grandparents, here's where this passage engages us, okay? Because not only, not only are we to love God with our heart, soul, and mind, but man, we are to be concerned that generations to come do the same thing. There's, there's one of the great things about Deuteronomy, really the Old Testament in general that I really like that I think we miss is that they, they, were, they were a long-term thinking people, okay? They were not just thinking about my life right now today. Um, some, some people, that's their whole Christianity. It's like, okay, God, I got bills, so I'm going to church today. Hopefully, you'll do something about it today. You know, I mean, that's as, that's as far as they think. Man, not, not, man not, not these people. I mean, God was impressing upon them. You, you look for the generations of your family, your children and your grandchildren and their children. For generations, you, you, you want this longevity of you want it to go well with your family. And, and we do. We do. We all want it to go well with our families, and so what do we need to do? Well, look at what verse 6 says. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. I don't run into this as much today, it seems like, as I did 10 years ago. And so maybe it's fading, but I think it's probably still out there. But there, there is a philosophy in, in, in our culture that says, you know what? The really, the really trendy, cool thing to do is I'm going to let my kids decide for themselves. You know, I'm just going to, you know, as far as religion and who they worship and where they worship and, you know, whether they go to church and whether they believe the Bible, you know, I don't want to force that on my kids. I'm going to let them, I'm going to let them decide for themselves. You know, the weird thing about that is that doesn't work in any other area of life. And I can't imagine why it would work in the most important area of life, okay? But we don't do that in any other area, do we? I mean, we we, we don't let kids decide if you're gonna go to school or not. Son, do you wanna go to school or do you just not wanna, you know? Would you like to play video games the rest of your life? You can just do that. I mean, we don't do that, you know? Uh, I mean, we don't say, hey, you know, if you think Drano's a beverage, you know, hey, you just decide that for yourself, you know? And hey, meth dealer, you know, it's not my career choice, but if that's what you wanna be, son, then, you know, how can I help you? You know, can I, can I buy you something that would train you on that, how to sell it better? You know, I mean, I mean, we, we, we don't, even the small things. I mean, most parents don't give them a choice to brush their teeth. Yeah, I don't want to brush my teeth. You know, it takes up too much time. Well, okay. You know, I mean, we don't do that. we, 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 we we, that we press upon them their need to do certain things that are important. And I cannot imagine that why we would stand back and give no help or instruction or direction on the only thing that truly matters to our children for their eternity. Man, that's nuts. And and so Deuteronomy 6 says, teach them diligently. Now, let, let me impress upon grandparents here, because there's a, there's a great phrase here... Um, it says, verse two, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son. Okay, it's not just about you, but but your son needs to fear the Lord your God. Your son needs to love God. But notice this, and your son's son. You know, and it's it's in us all. I'm guilty, man. I I'm eating my words today because Friday I'm driving with my wife and my two oldest girls. It's Hannah's it was Hannah's nineteenth birthday this week, and so uh, we we were going out for for her birthday. And uh, we were just talking, and I was talking about Hannah being 19, and and I I said to Emma, I said, man, one down, honey, you know, one down and and four to go. And I said, you know, Addie's turning 17 this September. We're almost two down, you know. I mean, we're getting close to 50% here, you know. And and I was just kind of joking around, and and man, then then I started to think about what I'd said. And I said that kiddingly. But, you know, there's something in us that wants to be like, my job is done. I think that's sinful. Um, listen, folks, someday they will stick my body in the ground, OK, and I'll go to be with Jesus in fullness of joy and pleasures forever. OK, when that hot time happens, it will be somebody else's turn. OK, I mean, I, I really believe that. OK, when when they stick me in the ground and cover me over with dirt and I go to be with Jesus, then it's somebody else's turn. But until then, it's my turn. Okay. Until then, it's on me. Until then, there, there, there's something pressed upon me that my children and my grandchildren, and if God would let me live long enough, my great-grandchildren that I would impress it upon them to love God with their heart, their soul, and their mind and their strength. If we're still breathing, grandparents, you need to write a letter. You need to urge your kids to love and fear God, your grandkids to love and fear God. You need to give them a call. You need to take them out for lunch. You need to take them fishing. You need to go on vacation and point out the awesomeness of God's creation. You need to do whatever you can and whatever opportunity God and your family gives you to impress upon your generations of your family to love and to fear God. And the first thing that we've got to do to be able to do that is we've got to love God ourselves. Man, we, we can't skip over that one. You can't teach somebody to love something that you don't love. I mean, it just doesn't work. If I'm sitting around my table and I say, kids, you need to love broccoli. Broccoli is really good for you. And you you need, you guys need to eat it. You, you, if the more you eat it, the, the better you'll acquire a taste for it. And pretty soon you'll like it. So you need to eat it. I cannot do that if they see me grab the broccoli bowl... Make it a nasty face, kind of, you know, and pass it on. All right. I mean, they're going to pick that up. They're going to know that you you can't teach them to love what you don't love. Man, I, I'm so, I'm so, uh, so impressed with how your kids watch you. I was sitting at the table this week. I think it was breakfast. I think it was. And I had a couple kids sitting there and, uh, I got a text in, ding, and I look at the text, and it was from one of our church members, pre, please pray for this person. You know, they're in critical condition, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so I bowed my head just right where I was and just silently, you know, just prayed for that person. And uh, I looked up and, and Haven said, what are you doing, Dad? And I said, well, you know, I got this text for so-and-so. I, I said their name, and my, my family knows them. I said, you know, they're doing, a, uh, they're doing rough right now. And so Daddy just, you know, they asked us to pray, so Daddy, Daddy prayed. And it's cool, because I looked over, and the other kids at the table, I'd bow their heads, were praying. I was like, they're watching. They're watching. I didn't have to tell them. I mean, the, 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 greatest, the greatest way that I was, I was teaching at that moment was this, this way we do things. This way daddy does things. Teach them. It implies a focused effort. Notice notice verse 6. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. Look at the word diligently. The word teach them. That implies a focused effort. Intentional striving to communicate the truths of God. Our teen kid verse... Uh, that, that is the foundation of our Team Kid ministry is Psalm 78 verse 4. We come back to this over and over again. It says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. There's really one purpose in our children's ministry. There was one purpose this weekend in, in Vacation Bible School and that is to gather children and then to lift up Jesus and to say, Look at what He's done. Look at His awesome power. Look at how He stood the Jordan River up so that the children of Israel went across on dry land, and then we had a lion's den the next week. Look at how he saved Daniel from the lion's den. And look at the resurrection. And look at the cross. We, we just want to exalt Jesus. And then lift up his glorious deeds. Folks, people don't automatically know who God is. Kids, don't, We don't automatically know who God is. You know what our default setting is? Is if you're not taught who God is, you know, you know what you will think about God? You will think he's just like you. Except he gets his way. I mean, really. that. You look at history, you look at the ancient civilizations, their gods basically were just like them, except they got their way and they had more power. That's not who God is. God is nothing like me. Nothing like me. He is completely other. We must teach our kids. We must impress upon them who God is and how to love him. Now, when, where, and how? Look at verses 7 through 9. When, where, and how? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, you shall, uh, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, let me just say a couple things about what he says there. We're not going to look at each one of those, obviously. But, but let me give you a couple big, broad uh, aspects of what I think he's saying. First of all, I think he's saying you, you need to teach your kids about God in every sphere of life. In other words, this should be a natural topic of conversation throughout throughout all of your life, okay? I, I am a firm believer in setting aside time, you know, in the evening, in the morning, whenever it is for your family, and saying, all right, guys, you know, let's, let's look at who God is. Let's have a family devotion together. Let's, let's think about God. Let's read this passage. I, I'm a firm believer in that. But, but I think what Deuteronomy is saying is you must go far beyond that, okay? You must connect everything in life, to God. Everything in life, you must, you need to compare it to who God is, what He's done. You know, make, make it a natural topic of conversation in the everyday moments of life. You need to connect God to nature. You need to connect Him to culture. You need to connect Him to movies and to entertainment. You need to connect Him to difficult situations and circumstances and trials and pain and suffering and punishment and poverty and discipline and right and wrong. Everything should have a God connection in your life. Everything. Last night I sit down for four minutes probably, and and the kids are allowed to watch some TV in the evening and stuff, but they were watching that stupid Disney Channel and I don't know it just irritates me. It's just all such fluff, you know. And so I just I was kind of flipping around. I mean, let's see someone you know noodling for some fish or I don't know something exciting, you know. And and I hit upon the movie The Matrix. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Matrix, but um, it was just the last like four or five minutes of it. And uh, I, I have no idea who wrote the Matrix or why, but but all I know is they just ripped off the gospel story and put a bunch of kung fu and violence in it, you know. But but the story under it is is the gospel. I don't think they meant to. I don't even know if they meant to. I don't know if they're Christians. I, I don't know why. But I mean, it's it's basically the greatest story ever, you know. It's a story of salvation from bondage and and resurrection and power and ascension and all of that. And so anyway, but but Neo is dead, you know. Right as we turn on the channel, he's dead, land on the. And I knew it was going to happen happened. I knew kind of the rest of the story. I said, I said, son, watch this. You know, I said, watch what happens here. I said, they just ripped off the gospel. You know, I said, you know he, he's going to come back to life. He's going to come back to life unstoppable. And then he's going to send into the heavens and he's going to give this message that we're coming for you. So that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, and, and, and what, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I just took a little, little opportunity, man, here it is matrix. I don't know why, but it, it's a picture of the gospel. Hey son, that's a picture of the gospel. That's a picture of the greatest story ever in every area of life. Number two, I think what this is saying is you should not have a one-dimensional approach to instructing your children. You should be creative, okay? You know, when, when, when he talks about, you know, teach your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you bind them on the sign in your hand. You know, man, ought to be, it ought to always be with you. It ought to be on your hand. It ought to be between your eyes, okay? In other words, you ought to have a multiple dimension of, of, of strategy of teaching your kids about Christ. You need more than one bullet. Some folks only got one bullet. Sometimes the bullet is I bring my kids to church. Listen, I am in no way diminishing that. I I cannot tell you the value of impressing upon your kids that we are people who worship. That's who we are. Um, My dad was saved when he was 28. I was eight. You know, he was a new Christian for much of my childhood. But let me tell you one thing he impressed upon me was, was this is who we are it never entered my mind that we would not go to church. That that didn't... It just didn't. I mean, I remember going behind the the, the tractor and blowing the road open and we're, we're going to church, you know? I remember my brother and I outside with our boots on, on either side of the car, trying to keep it on the road to get the four miles to the blacktop so that we could go to church, you know? I, I mean, it just wasn't an option. So, in no way am I diminishing that. That... Man, that's a great gift to your kids, okay? But if that's all you've got, if, if, if your whole bullet is I'm going to bring him to church, man, they, you need more bullets, okay? You, you need books and movies and object lessons and illustrations from life and lots of prayer times and singing together and studying together and memorizing together. And, and I don't want that to be overwhelming, okay? But, but what, I, what I think it impresses upon me is this is big. And I need to be creative, and I need to employ energy and effort, and God will bless my efforts. And, and I need to strive to make this happen in my family, to teach them to love God. you probably heard this before. I've heard it before, but I don't know. I read it. I read it to my family last night at supper. I said, what do you guys think of this? Um, I want to read it to you. In 1677, an immoral man named Max Jukes married a licentious woman. Over 1,200 descendants of that marriage were studied. Of these, over 400 were physically wrecked by lives of debauchery. 310 were professional vagrants. 130 were sent to the penitentiary for an average of 13 years each, including 60 thieves, 7 murderers, 190 public prostitutes, 100 were alcoholics, and of the 20 who learned to trade, 10 learned it in prison. Another family was studied over, the, over that same time period, um, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, the great New England revival preacher and president of Princeton University. Over 300 of his descendants became ministers, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 were college presidents and professors. More than 100 were lawyers and judges. More than 60 were physicians. More than 60 were authors or editors of books or journals. 86 were state senators. Three were U.S. congressmen, and one became vice president of the United States. Two families. Two radical different directions. We should want, we should want to lay a foundation for generations of our family. With the one big command. Son, grandson, great-grandson, love God. Love God. That's, That's it. Love God. Love Him. Love Him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Father, I pray, God, that you would um, enable us to love you. God, put that love within our hearts. God, put it in us, God, to be people who, um, who seek you, who love you, <laughs> who pursue you. Father, I pray, God, that you would um, fill us with your Holy Spirit, enable us to live out that command, and to teach it to our children and to our children's children. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.